When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, a company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Well, he's just walked in and all of his radiant glory. It kind of gets old after a while, the way his entourage treats him like a king. And here he is, Dr. History. How are you this morning? Good morning, Zab. What are we doing? Well, I, I'm trying to get my phone to work he's trying to get his phone to work and in about 30 (laughs) seconds while he's talking it's going to ring and it oh that'll remind me i better turn yeah there it goes i knew it (laughs) why is your face getting red all of a sudden oh my goodness because i don't don't know what would you turn your phone off please (laughs) i love preparation and uh good morning how are you okay we're good (laughs) yeah right we sure are oh boy uh yeah so i guess right into the story well i was going to ask you if you had any thank yous or any mentions Uh, you know i don't this week only to say to all the listeners out there i hope they have a great thanksgiving and uh you know, have a good week with families and friends. You and got whatever. all your family coming in? No, uh, we have them every other year, either Christmas or Thanksgiving. And so this, this year, year's Christmas. This year, you're just going to sit back on Thanksgiving and go, ah. And, and I'm going to go over to my daughter's house and just sit back, and and they're going to have a big feed over there. So oh, good. So we're going to be good. Yeah. Well, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to p- talk about the Indian culture and the Indian life. You know, if I could go back... A couple of hundred years or more, Zeb, I'd love to just sit in an Indian village for a few days and just see the culture and how they lived back then. You know, I thought about that, too. Uh, a lot of people, and I, I really get offended when they use the term savages back yeah. in the old days. Oh, yeah. They were very refined and highly educated right. for what they did. And I'm going to talk a little about that. Okay. Uh, you know, when most Americans uh, had little sense of the rich cultures that basically we were disrupting in the Great Plains, uh, which reached from the Mississippi to the Great Basin over in the Rockies. There were about 30 distinct tribes, each with its own language and customs, and many with subgroups based on location or language. 
Now, some of these tribes carry familiar names, which, of course, we know Comanche, Cheyenne, Sioux, which uh, sometimes are, are referred to as the Lakota mm-hmm. Sioux, right. Kiowa, Apache, but there were a lot of others that were less known to white people. Now, some were nomadic, spending their days following the buffalo herds as they migrated across the landscape. Others were more sedentary and actually were farmers. And I don't think people think about this, but they raised peaches, corn, melons in some of the fertile valleys throughout the West. Um, Who, if I may ask a dumb question right here, who do you think was responsible in the education of teaching them how to grow those crops? I have no idea. That's a good question. Uh, I think it was passed down from generation to generation. Okay. So, but still, you know, more essentially, warriors and marauders, uh, they raided other tribes for their horses, for their corn, tobacco, mm-hmm. whatever they wanted. Now, some combined elements of both of these lifestyles. For example, the Arikara, for example, planted crops in the spring, but then they hunted like nomads in the summer, then came back home in the fall to harvest what they had planted. I see. And a lot of tribes traded one with another over these trails that are still out there that are probably almost invisible to white people. Uh, but they connected villages and they cooperated to maintain peace between uh, when conflicts arose. They tried to be peaceful when you with say, each other. When you say all the different tribes, whether it's the Apaches or the Comanches or the Lakota or the Sioux or whatever, wasn't the fragmentation of their society quite similar to what ours would be as far as arguing with the French or the Japanese Probably. or whatever? Well. I think they had more in common, Zeb. I see. I think those tribes had a lot more in common than we would with... So what was the dispute all the time? I mean, oh, were they fighting over hunting, hunting grounds or... Hunting grounds or... I see. You know, but uh, to show you the example, an example of trading, uh, there was a guy here in Burley named Keith Crane. And for years, he collected arrowheads years and years ago over along the Snake River. And I was visiting with him one time, and he showed me an arrowhead that is only made in Florida. So somehow, in the course of trading, that arrowhead was traded from Florida to Kentucky to Missouri to clear out here to Idaho. Really? So there was quite a an exchange of trading goods that, that occurred between the tribes. I'll be. But, uh, you know, the Native American uh, family structure uh, on the Great Plains uh, varied from tribe to tribe. Now, some, like the Mandan and the Crow, were what you'd call matrilineal, which means the child becomes a member of the mother's clan. Now, others, like the Iowa, the Omaha, the Osage, they were what you'd call patrilineal, which means the father determined a child's lineage, and some kind of practiced a combination of both. Now, marriages were frequently arranged, often with a pretty strict set of guidelines about the genetic distance necessary between a husband and wife. In other words, you had to be careful to not marry too close into the family. Oh, I see. And now in many tribes, weddings were encouraged between men and women already connected through marriage. Now, for example, a man would marry the widow of a brother killed in battle, or a woman would marry the husband of a sister who died in childbirth or whatever. I see. And But monogamy was the normal. Uh, now, some did 
practice a form of polygamy. For example, sisters would maybe share a single husband, and this arrangement intended to encourage the sharing of the work uh, the sisters did, including the raising of children and caring for the older Weren't people. Weren't there some tribes in the Old West that uh, they had many, uh, using the terminology that was used then, squaws? Uh, I'm thinking there was less of that than what we think. I see. I believe. Um, so I think mostly it was monogamous. It was just, uh, yeah. But in many Plains tribes, grandparents and grandchildren and certain other family relations practiced so-called joking relationships. What do you mean by that? I'm going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> okay. In which teasing, horseplay, and practical jokes were used as a means of encouraging appropriate behavior. Hmm. Even the most powerful members of the tribe had joking relatives who could bring them down to earth when necessary. I see. <laughs> Some tribes, like the Crow, Blackfoot, and one called the Atsina, encouraged mutual joking relationships between a man and his sisters-in-law. You said something that I want you to elaborate on. A lot of people through history, and I know through college it was kind of a given deal, the Indians were so stern-faced and so absolutely not prone to laugh. That's not true. No, absolutely not. They had fun. They played games. You know, I've done several stories on the uh, athletic uh, events that they had. Yeah. So they had fun. They they enjoyed life, you know. So, but the women and men had very well defined tribal duties. A woman was expected to raise the children, make clothing and gear her for family gear uh, and their horses, and keep the home, which she sometimes built and maintained herself, stocked with food. And this might involve gathering wild plants like the prairie turnips that grew in the high plains, or carefully tending the dried meats uh, favored by many of the tribes. And Zeb, you and I know both know that just north of us is the Camas Prairie, right? A few miles to to our north, uh, where they used the camas root as food. So the, the wife time. did most of the work. A lot of it. But on the other hand, among the nomadic tribes, the men were expected to develop into skillful hunters and warriors, and special credit was given to a brave who could wound or kill an enemy with the least lethal weapon, such as a tomahawk, a whip, or even just a stick. Hmm. To strike within an enemy's camp was considered particularly courageous. But if you could kill your enemy with the least uh, what amount of uh, weaponry, yeah. I guess. But there were many kinds of game for the men to hunt on the plains, including deer, elk, antelope. And but did horse, they have a value sheep. of human life? Oh, I think so, yeah. And uh, it's not like they were just... Uh, you know, killing and killing and killing. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it was as the way it's portrayed in TV and movies. But, you, you know, and you know this, eagle feathers were highly prized, and braves often killed the birds barehanded after luring them close with a piece of meat. Now, that would be dangerous. That would be dangerous. But the You most, go first. No. <laughs> <laughs> but the most valued catch was the buffalo, which we know was a primary source of meat. And they didn't meat. catch him barehanded. No. Uh, that was the primary source of meat for the uh, native population throughout the plains. And, of course, we know they used every bit of the animal, yep. whether, you know, buffalo, yep. elk, deer, anything. Yep. Even after the introduction of guns, most tribes insisted on hunting buffalo with bows and arrows and delivering the final cutting or killing cuts at close range. So they still like to use the bow and arrow. 
But uh, we've talked about this before. Their respect for the animals that provided them with sustenance was deep. I mean, they respected every animal that they killed uh, as coming from the great father or, you know. But the socialization and education of Plains children was a group effort within each child's extended family and clan, grandparents, Older siblings and uncles and aunts often played key roles. Both boys and girls were prepared for their adult lives through creative play. A girl would be given a doll to care for. As she grew older, she would learn to sew clothes for the doll. She would be instructed by women of the tribe in the use of hide-scraping tools and have her first experience of keeping house in a child, child-sized teepee. Now, I'd never thought of that, Zeb, a child-sized teepee, but... Why not? Yeah. You know, really. really. Kind of a playhouse. Yeah, really. And now a boy would be given a miniature bow and arrow. As he grew older, he would receive hunting instruction and begin to chase small prey. Now, the Plains children were rarely punished physically. Now, that tells you, again, something about these people. Praise and system of rewards were the standard motivators. Uh, one uh, Indian father publicly gave away property to honor his son when the boy first walked, when he brought in his first game, or when he killed his first deer, or when he returned from his first war party. So, pretty interesting. The girls were similarly recognized for their accomplishments in food production, production, cooking, quilling, beating, hide processing, and stuff like that. Let me ask you, you said uh, there wasn't much punishment uh, as far as physical punishment. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they raised their kids. Well, kids are going to be kids. Right, and they're going to get in trouble. Yeah. You know, and... That's a good question. I I don't know how they maintained the discipline. Yeah. I'm going to guess in somewhat it was respect and maybe in a little fear for your father, your grandfather, your uncles, that you didn't want to cross them. Yeah. I mean, that's just my thought. And it still reigns true today. (laughs) It does. (laughs) But, you know, the leadership of the Plains tribes was often dependent on individual skill. You know, critical tasks for the leader or the chief might include planning the for the planning of a crop, or engineering a raiding party, or organizing a large hunt, or overseeing an important tribal ceremony. What about tillage tools? That's a good question, too, I, because I'm assuming that it all had to be done by hand. That I don't was think a they, lot of work. Right. Uh, as far as I know, I don't know of any situation where they pulled any kind of a wooden plow or anything like that, so I don't know about that. But the Iroquois also had what they call clan matrons, or the women, who also participated in the selection of leaders, and they might undertake some of the these tasks of organizing even a, a planting uh, or a raiding party or a hunt, things like that. Really? So it wasn't always just the men that did that. Hmm. Now, a lot of the tribes were composed of bands of about 300 or 400 people. In the case of the most nomadic tribes, such as the Comanche, these bands came together for ceremonial functions, a large hunt, or a war party, but otherwise they acted kind of independently. Well, now, you said 400 people. Three or 400, Which is uh, four times greater than the population of Murtaugh, basically, okay? Yeah. That's a pretty big bunch of teepees. But but they kind of separated sometimes for their individual groups, and then they would come together for for various events, Hmm. okay? But the Cheyenne were one of only exceptions to this approach. What they did is they had ten bands... Of, or groups, okay, 
and they sent a representative to a council of what they called 44 peace chiefs, and what they decided was binding on the entire tribe. But individuals uh, gained status through acts of uh, value to the tribe and not based on clan membership. Uh, Native Americans especially valued hospitality and generosity to the poor. Uh, men frequently won honor for their fighting skills. Did they meet out anybody as far as when I say meet out, did they meet out uh, reparations for any wrongs that were done? E- among the tribe itself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The people, they could be uh, banished. I see. Uh, from the tribe. Uh, if they, so if they broke the tribal laws right. or oh, regulations. Yeah. There, there, was, there would be uh, some kind of a punishment of I some see. kind. So. But, uh, you know, touching an enemy's body in battle, which we know is called counting coup, it was actually celebrated more than killing the guy. And being stealthy uh, was a respected skill. Some tribal tribes held uh, feasts to celebrate any group of young boys able to steal food or a horse from a neighboring clan. Really? If they could sneak in and steal a horse, that was... that was. Well, you would think if it was a neighboring clan, why would they want to steal from them? Oh, I don't know. Just oh, okay. everybody's got to do something, Zach. <laughs> okay. Every, everybody's got to have a little fun. I'm watching you. <laughs> okay. Now, we get into the spirit world, okay, of yeah. the Indians. Now, the Plains Indians believed in a spirit world that uh, infused every element of their existence. Uh, existence. Spirit beings were in the sun, the moon, the earth, in the rain, the rainbows that followed uh, the streams, the rivers, the mountains, valleys, and everything from dragonfly to a buffalo. Some tribes, like the Cheyenne and Pawnee, believed in a great spirit that animated all the lesser spirits. In other words, that greater spirit was kind of in charge of life among all the other uh, elements of the of the earth, I yeah. mean, you know, birds and everything. You so. see many times pictures and paintings of Indians with outstretched arms looking and gazing to the heavens. Right, yeah. yeah. Now, the Cheyenne referred to this being as the wise one above. The Crow tribe, on the other hand, believed in a large collection of spirits, all of which were equally powerful. Uh, for many tribes, there were local places where, where the spirit world was expressed most powerfully like for example the black hills played a big role for the sioux that was considered kind of a spiritual area for them really uh, in in the black hills yeah and a lot of tribes included uh men believed to have a powerful personal connection to the spirit world and these figures you know the medicine man or uh what we've also called the shaman yeah how did he get chosen uh, I think it was because of the things he did that showed that he had some type of a spiritual connection. So they were kind of the Billy Graham of the Indian clans. I guess. They oh. just were became known as a I person. See. You know, and as you look around, some you, there are people around us that, yeah. you know, we feel that way about. But they did practice a form of medicine and were often involved in tribal life as healers. But they also interpreted dreams, offered visions of their own and frequently invoked the aid of the spirit world when considering tribal decisions and these men were revered within their tribes and sometimes their role was passed from father to son Uh, their secrets were also carefully guarded not only from the white man but also from the other tribes sitting bull 
the great warrior and chief of the Hunk Papa Sioux, was a tribal shaman whose intimate connection with the spirit world began after an encounter with an eagle when he was just a young boy. Wow. And I've read about that experience where that he had in detail, uh, and he became a shaman. But the Plains Indians engaged in a variety of rituals to appease the spirits and enlist their cooperation. Now, the form of these rituals varied from tribe to tribe. The spirits were asked for help with hunt and in war to protect the young, heal the sick, and just simply safeguard the tribe in general. Now, some I've read where some shamans or medicine men, uh, in order to become one, you had to study under a shaman or medicine man for like seven years. Really? Before you could actually be considered uh, as a shaman. So or you a had to go to shaman college. Yeah. And okay. you had to, you know, and I suspect that if you didn't do a very good job, you may be looking for another tribe. Really? Yeah. If you uh, gave the wrong advice or you, some of the people you're supposed to heal died, I think there was a fine line between... Well, most of these guys must have been nervous wrecks. Well, <laughs> they, yeah, when you've got somebody laying there that's dying from a fever <laughs> right. you know, or smallpox or whatever, wow. you know, what do you do? Um uh, uh, you know, I, I know we're about out of time, Zeb, but, uh, you know, a lot of the tribes encourage people to do a vision quest yeah. where they would go out on their own uh, and they would come back uh, to the tribe with maybe instructions for the tribe or uh, what to do, say, if a battle was coming up. But they would go out as young as six years old on these vision quests and spend sometimes several days out. You know, by themselves. I've got a question for you before you go on. I've only got a time to ask this. Okay. What about the variation, if there was, of language between the tribes? You know, that is such a good question uh, because, the, you know, obviously with all those tribes, there was a, quite a variety well, of... Our adopted language here is English. Right. Okay. But they, whether it's Apache, Comanche, Sioux, Crow, whatever, they all, did they have their own variations of their own language? I believe they did because I've read of some of the trappers and mountain men that learned uh, Indian language, but they had to learn the Comanche, the Kiowa, the Cheyenne, Holy whatever. Holy cow. But also, I think the common thing was sign language. <clears throat> I, I think that would have been the most common. Uh, so next mode week, of, next week on this program, are you going to do it entirely in sign language? I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to have to interpret. Okay. I got to run, but this is fascinating. You know, I don't mean to ask you a special favor, but I'd really like to know about the derivations of their languages. That's that's a good question, and you know, you've got to figure. Not you know, we just talked about a few of the tribes, but if you consider from east to west, yeah. there were somewhat like 500 tribes. Oh, yeah. I mean, from back in the Midwest, the Iroquois and all that, yeah, Seminole, the Illini, etc., yeah. So there was a lot of tribes. Wow. And, you know, you've got to wonder, did the language originate from one original? Yeah. And then they all split off into their own tribes? Uh, I want you question. to do a case study on that. Uh, Thank I'll you very much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.